how does a custodian generate revenue? That is today's question on the Transition to RA question and answer series. It is question number 36. Hi, I'm Brad Wales with Transition to RA, where I help you understand everything there is to know about why and how to transition to the RA model. Uh, so today's question, you know, how does a custodian generate revenue? And I, I get asked this all the time, and it's usually that the second part of a, the first part of the question is, you know, is the is the payout I would receive it as advisor really 100%? And I'll I'll end up doing a whole separate video on that. Uh, but the short answer is yes. As an advisor in the RA model, you keep 100% of your advisory feed. So, you know, in, in theory, that the payout is 100% back to you as the RIA. And so that then leads to the next question. Okay, well, if, if I'm the advisor, if I'm, if I'm keeping 100% of the fee, how is the custodian generating revenue? There, there must be some catch here. And so that, that's a common question and I, and I completely understand and I, and I explain this all the time. Uh, more than happy to, to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation about it as well, if you'd like. But I did want to do a video because it does come up so frequently. Uh, and I would tell you, this is near and dear to my heart. I, I, I spent many years working at a custodian, literally running the budget for the custodian. So I'm, I'm well aware of exactly how a custodian generates revenue. And I've, I've had this conversation for years to help advisors just understand how it works. Uh, and, and I would tell you, you know, one, one thing to think about, and we're going to go through each of these revenue sources so you can kind of understand them. And, and it's not like 20, don't worry. But the, the, the main thing to think about is compared to like a broker dealer environment where uh, as a broker dealer, they have to provide supervision oversight as you, over you as an advisor. They have to provide this massive compliance apparatus, all kinds of other factors that, that just aren't relevant in, in the custodial model where the custodian doesn't have to or does not supervise you as an RA. The custodian does not do your compliance. And so as we go through these, the thing I always point out to folks is, yes, a custodian, we'll, we'll take an example. Say, say uh, an, an, an advisor has 200 million in assets uh, and, and they're sitting maybe in a custodial model or they're sitting in a, a more traditional broker dealer model when the large firms. For that same 200 million, Yes, the broker dealer will bring in significantly more revenue, top line revenue, uh, because they're taking, among other things, a big payout on, on, on the, the, the fees and commissions you are generating. So they, they bring in a lot more revenue than on that same 200 million that the custodian would bring in. However, the broker dealer model also has significantly more embedded costs. Again, things like supervision, things like compliance items. These large firms have armies of people, hundreds of people that, that they have to pay to, to do all these things. And so while that broker dealer model brings in on that same 200 million in assets on their platform, a lot more top line revenue, they also have a lot more expenses that a custodian simply doesn't have. So even though a custodian brings in uh, a lot less top line revenue, again, they, they take away a, a big piece of that cost structure that is just not applicable to them that is in the broker dealer world. So, so it's, it's not to say that at the end of the day, their, their net incomes are the same, but it, just, just to give you a, a framework of, of how it does work that a custodian, yes, understandably brings in less revenue, but again, their, their cost structure to provide the service to RIAs is significantly less because again, they don't have a lot of these responsibilities that a broker dealer has. And, and so kind of related to that, as, as we get into this and I go through these, I, I would just remind you, 
you know, as an RIA, you will be working with a, a number of different vendors. You might have a, a compliance uh, consultant to help you. You might have an IT person. You might have a marketing uh, consultant. Uh, and, and your custodian is no different. At the end of the day, your custodian is, is just in the, another vendor necessary to run an RIA. In this case, they provide custody and clearance services for the RIA. So, so they are a vendor. They're, you're not affiliated with them. They don't hold your licenses. Uh, I've done a whole number of videos on being single custodian versus multi-custodial and, and, and how all that process works. Um, but the, the, the main key is it, it, it is just a vendor, but, but you're still in a, there's still a partnership there. Even though it's not a legal partnership, it's not a formal partnership, you're, you're, you still want to you know, make sure you're, you're a good partner to the other one. And, and, and kind of what I, what I mean by that is, you know, as we go through these economics, a custodian still needs to generate revenue. They are a for-profit company. They need to cover their costs, cover their own risks that, that exist with any business, and of course, make a, make a profit margin as well. And, and I think it's always important, you got to respect that, that they, they do need to make money. Uh, they do need to generate revenue to reinvest back into the platform so the technology continues to improve, the service offering continues to improve. And, and, and quite frankly, unless you have the revenue, you can't reinvest that money back into it. And so I think it's just always good as an RA to, to appreciate that. And, and so that's why nowhere on my website will you see that I, I don't, part of my offering uh, is not to tell you, oh, here's how to squeeze your custodian to death on every little fee and every little possible way they could maybe make revenue off of you. Because uh, while I, I understand all the, the levers at play, because again, I, I ran a budget for many years, the reality is that's not a good partnership. And, and that ultimately will not be good for you if that is how you approach your partnership with the custodians. Because uh, quite frankly, again, they need good partners on the other side as well. And, and, and part of it just comes back to for, for what's, what's best for you. If, if I mean, imagine, think of two clients you have, uh, equally maybe the same size clients, each of them have a million dollars. And and, and one client really values what you're providing for them and understands that you, you have members of your team you have to pay for, you have, you have your office and you want to reinvest in the business and, and you do need to generate a reasonable return as a professional to, to provide that service. Um, and so they value what you're providing them and, and the fee you charge. And then you might have a, a similar size client that just doesn't appreciate all that and just wants to squeeze you and squeeze you and squeeze you on your fee. And, and, and two things could happen. One, it might get to the point where you no longer want to do business with that client. You just say, okay, if you don't see the value of what I'm providing, I'm, I'm not going to keep discounting your fee every, every time you ask. Um, or the second thing is even if you, even if you discounted some or, or maybe a lot, um, you, you know, think about the next time if, if both of those clients were to call in and, and, and maybe leave a message. And so you get those messages simultaneously. Who, who are you going to get back to first? The client that really appreciates your value and is, is not trying to nickel and dime you or, or the client that is just constantly trying to essentially shake you down on your fees. Now, now I'm not suggesting you, you shouldn't be conscientious of, of the fees and everything that you'll pay and make sure that you're getting a, a competitive arrangement. And that's part of what I help advisors with is, hey, let's, let's make sure this is competitive. But I would just encourage you, you know, think of it as a partnership. You, yes, yes, a custodian needs to meet you in the middle. You're, you're not having to swing one way or all the other way. You, you both have to meet in the middle, but just make sure it's mutually uh, workable for, for both of you. And as we go through these, and I, I'll, at the end, I'll talk about kind of what I think the future brings. You'll see how that dynamic is, is kind of changing. Um, 
So with that, I want to talk about the, the revenue sources. So there's, there's primarily three main ways a custodian makes money or generates revenue. Uh, and then there's some other smaller auxiliary stuff um, that just quite frankly, an aggregate that just are not big enough to necessarily align item in this, in this conversation. Cause again, the, the, the big three uh, cover so much of it. And so I, I did want to go through each of those. So the, the first one, and I kind of lumped these together is, is cash and lending. So we'll, we'll kind of split those out. So no doubt a, a, a significant way a custodian generates revenue is on the spread of, of free cash that's sitting in an account. So when, when your client has cash and it sweeps somewhere, uh, typically the model nowadays, most custodians enable or have that where it sweeps to perhaps a, 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 a bank that is owned by the custodian. And for that, the client gets an interest rate, but then the bank takes that cash that they're now you know, paying the client an interest rate to have access to it and then goes in and lends it out uh, for a higher interest rate, of course, and that's your, that's your spread. That is a significant way that custodians make money is on the spread on free cash. And you can think, well, how much cash do I really have in accounts? But the, the reality is when, you know, and it's usually a single digit percentage amount in any given cash, uh, any given account, but, but sometimes if you're, you may be being defensive or tactical with the market, you know, sometimes I've seen it go 20, 30% in an account. Uh, and even the, even the advisor, you know, that I've, I've had tell me, you say, well, how much cash do you keep in your account? So I don't keep any. No, there's always some cash. There's always something that's paying off a dividend or, or something that it's uh, a bond has become, uh, is, is matured and it's paid off and it hasn't been reinvested just yet. So there's, there is always some cash, not to mention you need cash in the account to cover your advisory fee as it comes due. So, so there's always some cash. And in aggregate, when you take millions of accounts and all these little cash balances, sometimes little, sometimes large, and added up that that is billions of dollars, billions and tens of billions of dollars that the that the custodians make this spread on, um, and and so that that's just a, a primary way. And I'm going to talk about kind of what the future brings, but uh, that that has really got squeezed because as interest rates have come down here recently, that the spread they can make on that has come down as well, and 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 that that is meaningful. That's a that's a meaningful challenge that custodians are having as a result of that. Um, and like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on the end and kind of about what I think the future brings as a result of that. Uh, and then the other part is lending. So that would be things like uh, margin loans, uh, non-purpose loans, some, some firms call them securities-based lending, uh, where again, your, your client wants that typical margin loan. That is, that is good business for a custodian to, to loan them at whatever that market rate amount is. And, and, and obviously they're making a spread there on their cost of capital uh, for the, the, the cash that now they're extending to the client. Um, and the interest rate they're charging. And so that, again, those are two big primary drivers of revenue for a custodian. Nothing at all wrong with that. I'm not implying that there's anything, any reason a custodian shouldn't make money that way, but just know that is, that is a typical way. Uh, in most instances, that is the primary way that custodians generate revenue is that cash holding and then the lending piece. Uh, the second of the, the kind of the, the big three that I wanna go over um, is transaction pricing. And I've, I've done a whole number of videos on this about you know, uh, who pays the transaction prices. Is it, is it the RAA? And this is, I'm, I'm referring to every time a trade is made and there could be a transaction charge attached to that is, does the RAA pay for it? Does the client pay for it? I've talked about no transaction fee programs. I've, so I've made all kinds of videos on that if, if you wanna dive into those more to kind of understand them better. 
Um, but but this, this part of the revenue source is certainly evolving right now for custodians. And so if you go back 12 and certainly 24 months, a, a typical arrangement at almost every custodian was every time for the most part, uh, there's, there's kind of a carve out oftentimes with mutual funds. Like I said, I did a whole video on no transaction fee platforms, which are primarily mutual fund platforms. Um, but, but, but back called 24 months ago, every time a, a trade was done, like on an equity or an ETF, there was a transaction charge. And it was, you know, depends on your size and your relationship with the custodian. It, it could have been, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten dollars something like that. So every, every time there's a buy, every time there's a sell, it would, it would do a transaction charge. Uh, fast forward, the, the world has changed quite a bit. And a lot of custodians, uh, not all, but a lot of custodians have now gone down to zero uh, on those transaction charges. But but to the, to the degree they still exist, whether it's a custodian, and, and I, I'll, I'll touch on this here in a little bit, why some custodians do still have transaction charges, uh, whether they, they still exist or, or they exist generally on mutual funds still to this day, there's certain scenarios where, where mutual funds you will pay a transaction charge on. Um, that, that is a revenue source for uh, custodians. And again, you think, wow, what's $6 a trade? But you multiply that by tens of thousands of trades, perhaps a day, and, and it obviously adds up and generates revenue. Uh, and then alongside that, there's kind of a movement, and, and this is just part of what I'll touch on what I think that the future might hold is this, this idea, and I did a, a whole video on transaction-based pricing versus asset-based pricing, but this, this concept of asset-based pricing, ABP, some, some people refer to it as, is the idea that as opposed to paying a, a per transaction charge of $7 here, $7 here, or, or $20 for a mutual fund or whatever, that, that the, it's just charged a basis points fee and it, it could vary, but just easy numbers. Let's say it was three basis points. And for that, that, that is the charge to the account, but then there's no transaction charges at all. So to the degree that uh, any RAs working with the custodian, that capacity, uh, that again is a revenue source kind of tied in with transaction charges. And I'd remind you here right in the middle of this, that this is a large part of what I help advisors with because there's so many nuances here. I'm, I'm giving a very broad overview of how this works, but as for whether you specifically might enter into an arrangement and use transaction pricing or asset-based pricing or whatever the case may be, that, that's, that's why just having a one-on-one -on -one consultation with me is so helpful because every advisor situation is different. So I can only speak only so high level on this kind of video here say, okay, this is generally how it works. But, but ultimately all you care about is well, what, how would it work for you? And, and so I, I do encourage you to, to reach out. I'll, I'll, I'll mention at the end how to do that. Um, and we, we can talk through your specific scenario and exactly what, which of these levers would or would not be applicable. Uh, but, to, but to circle back in, so that's transaction pricing or, or asset-based pricing, that's kind of the second revenue source. Uh, and then the third revenue source, and, and this, is, this is getting squeezed as well, is uh, revenues that are generated off of mutual fund holding. So uh, if you don't use any mutual funds at all, this is not even applicable to you. Uh, but if you do use mutual funds, there's two, two kind of main ways that a, a custodian generates revenue from that. Uh, the first, and this is really phasing out, but if you hold uh, mutual funds that pay a 12B1 fee uh, in, in a custodial relationship, that 12B1 fee is technically a commission. And as an RIA, at least with respect to your relationship with a custodian, you, you cannot receive commissions as an RA. Now, I, I did do a whole separate video on how you can still do commission business on the side, separate from the RA. If you want to dig into that, go, go watch that whole uh, question and answer. But with respect to that particular mutual fund in the advisory account, 
if it pays a 12B1, the custodian retains that. That does not get remitted onto you in any, whether partially or in full or anything. You do not get it. The custodian retains it. Now, the reality is we're, we're moving to a world where in the RA custodial relationship, less and less holdings are still in a, in a mutual fund share class that, that does pay a 12B1, but to the degree it does exist, the custodian retains that. Um, and then the other thing is when there's a mutual fund, many, many mutual funds pay back to the custodian. There's different terminology for it. Um, revenue share is kind of the generic uh, reference to it. And, and basically that's, that's basis points of the holdings that the custodian has. So if, if mutual fund company X collectively, all the RAs in that custodian have, you know, 5 billion in that, well, the mutual fund company pays back X basis points to the custodian. And, and for that, that, that's a whole host of things that are provided for the mutual fund company as to why they would do that. One, one is just quite frankly, it makes, uh, it enables their, their mutual fund to be available on the platform. Uh, two, it could put them on the, the no transaction fee program. Again, I did a whole separate video on that. Uh, often custodians will do record keeping, um, uh, omnibus type record keeping things for a mutual fund. And, and there is a cost to the custodian to actually provide that service. So they need to be compensated for doing that. So to the degree a, a, an RA holds mutual funds, again, there's, there's some revenue sources there for the custodian as well that comes in. Um, so those are, the, those are the big three. Again, cash lending, I kind of lump them together. Transaction type revenues, and then and then revenues generated from mutual fund holdings, and, and like I said, there are some other smaller uh, auxiliary fees uh, that that could come up that could generate revenue. You know, if you client wants to send a wire out of the account, there's probably going to be some fee and things like that. And and so I think you'll see more, uh, uh, not necessarily more of it, but I guess I'd say I don't want to spend a lot of time going through them because again, those three make up call it 90-ish percent of, of the assets, uh, the revenues that could be generated. So that's, that's kind of where to focus on. Um, and, and I would just repeat, a, a lot has changed. A lot has changed for the custodians with each of these three sources. If you think about it, uh, the, the cash and lending, interest rates have plummeted. That spread on both of those has come way down. Uh, transaction pricing, uh, a lot of a lot of situations now have zero transaction prices where there used to be something, uh, and then the last even mutual funds. Again, there used to be a time where almost every share class paid a twelve B one, and the, the custodian was able to retain that. Now fewer and fewer uh, pay that twelve B one, but the custodian is able to retain it. So just just know that a lot has changed. Uh, it's an evolving industry. Again, that's something I help advisors with of know what what they can expect now, what they could expect in the future. Um, and and I, I think it will continue to change and, and, and certain things will reverse. Hopefully interest rates at some point kind of more normalize and, and, and that provides more of a cushion. Because again, keep in mind the custodians need to generate revenue to cover their costs, to reinvest in their platform, to make it better for you uh, to have, you know, to increase their ability or, or to improve their service offer and even more to provide better service for you. So sympathize with them. They do need to generate revenue to provide you a good platform. And, and that's why the custodian game is such a game of scale that you, you know, the, how big custodians have gotten. And just quite frankly, it's because these, these revenue sources need to add up to, to a fair amount of money to, to reinvest in that platform. And, and something I would uh, point out to, and, and then I'm going to end on kind of what I think the future will bring. Uh, I, I have heard some criticism that says, you know, people that are like uh, perhaps in a wirehouse firm or, or something like that, and, and, and certainly if they're in management at a wirehouse firm, they, they love pointing this out or, or attempting to point it out. And they'll say, 
wow, these, these custodians are getting, they're getting squeezed over here and they're, they're, they're getting squeezed on that cash. That's such a big revenue driver for them. And, and they, now they've, they've shot themselves in the foot. They've gone to zero on transaction charges. So, hey, advisors, if you go over into that RIA space, uh, you're, it, it's going to change. They're going to find some way to increase fees on you and things like that. And I, I find that comical that anyone in a more kind of a large brokerage firm would point that out because the reality is, they need to look in the mirror that all of these same revenue sources are, are also applicable in the large wirehouse uh, brokerage firm type model. They make money on cash spreads. They make money on lending. Uh, they used to make money on transaction charges. Now, most of that is, is uh, there's no transaction charges in a fee-based account or, or ticket charges or whatever you wanted to call them. Um, they're getting squeezed on the mutual fund revenues. And so, you know, to the degree they want to say, oh, oh, wow, these guys over here, they're going to have to change. No, trust me, as long as if interest rates stay low, at some point, the, the large firms themselves are going to have to find a way to generate new revenue. Their shareholders are not just going to accept smaller margins. So at some point, they're either going to have to find a way to increase revenues or decrease costs. And I'll let you do the math on one way to decrease costs is to squeeze the payout. That's why you see comp plans perhaps always being changed. That revenue has to be made up somehow, or that income has to be made up somehow. If revenue is going to come down, expenses have to come down. So no one is immune in this industry, no matter what model you're in, to, to these, these factors at play. So if anyone ever says, oh, this model is going to get hurt more than this model, that, that's not at all the case. The, the question is, what I would challenge you to think is, Okay, if, if lower interest rates are going to cause changes to happen, where will you have the most control to adapt to it? And so if, if interest rates are going to ultimately make uh, it, it harder to generate certain levels of revenue in this model or this model, well, if this model is more flexible on what you can do to try to overcome that or build out or grow faster than this one, I, I, I would say you have to consider whether, whether that's a reason to be looking at maybe a different path. So just, just know, if, again, if you hear criticism from, from one model to the other, no, no one is immune to some of these challenges here in the marketplace. Uh, and, then, and then to wrap up, what, what, what do I think the future brings? Now, I would tell you, that's, that's a hard one. Uh, if you had asked me that 24 months ago, would I, would I thought that today we'd have, in many instances, uh, zero transaction charges or interest rates have now plummeted back to historical lows? So certainly it's hard to predict the future. I, I do think interest rates, hopefully at, at some point, will come, come back to more normalized level. That, that releases some of the pressure, the revenue generating pressure uh, on, on all firms, and, and certainly custodians are part of that. Uh, but I think firms, custodians will also start to get uh, innovative. We, we are seeing that now. Some, some firms do still charge transaction charges, and, and the, the reason for that is there are some firms that are saying, hey, we, we get where well, there's a movement to zero, but we want to maybe give you a choice. And so we'll give you a, a and, and kind of everything has trade-offs. So, so I, I'll give you an example. Typically, when you're working with a custodian, if you're going to have zero transaction charges, you're not going to have much control in, in, in return, <coughs> excuse me, for where that cash sweep goes. Like I said, it'll, it'll usually go to an uh, in-house bank sweep arrangement, which, which is good for the client. Make no doubt. They get FDIC insurance. Usually it's even kind of a a balloon FDIC insurance and, and things like that. So it's, it's certainly good for the client, uh, but obviously it, it helps the custodian as well. Um, so it's like, hey, if, if, all right, if, if you don't want transaction charges, well, 
we're, we're going to say the only option of where the sweep goes is, is over is over here to, to this option where maybe sweep options right now, it's kind of a moot point because interest rates are so low, but maybe sweep options are important to you. You actually want to have a number of choices of where your client's cash could sweep to. Okay, well, uh, RIA, if, uh, if that's what you want, we can do that. But because we as the custodian will now generate perhaps less revenue on some of that, uh, in turn, we have to now charge you or, or, or retain the transaction charges on that. So everything has kind of a trade-off. If you, if you want one thing to go to zero, well, the other thing can't, can't go to zero. And so I think you'll see custodians continue to evolve here going forward of, of how they price things. Will they, will they charge, um, Michael Kitsis is a fan of, of uh, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but as I understand his vision for it, that, you know, well, custodians want to just charge an asset-based fee and that, that gives you zero transaction charges. It doesn't have any of this mutual fund revenue share. Uh, you can sweep to, you know, 20 different places and, and in return, it's just this one fee. Um, and, and, and who knows, maybe that's where the, the future brings. There are challenges to that as well, because that's not historically how it's been done. And so to adapt into a model like that is quite challenging for, for everyone involved. But I, I think the reality is it, it will continue to evolve, but, but do not fear that because again, in, in the RA model, you ultimately, and I'm, I'm biased, I'm a, I'm a strong believer in this model, but in that model is where you are going to have the most control of how you manage your business, how you manage your PL, uh, and, and all of that. So the entire industry will change absolutely over time. The question is, where will you have most control to adapt to it most favorable to you? Uh, and, and I would just argue or challenge you to consider where, where you are now, wherever that might be, and, and what the other options are. Might, might there be a difference? And, and, and at least to the degree you don't know the difference at least, as I say, look, look over the fence and see if the grass is greener on the other side or not. Maybe it's not, but I, I think it's important to at least understand how that works. So with that, like I said, I'm Brad Wales with Transition to RA, and this is the exact sort of thing I help uh, advisors understand. So for advisors that want to transition into the model, whether that's start their own RA, maybe join an existing RA, that custodial relationship is a big part of that. And it's, it's important to understand how it works. And again, what that partnership is, because again, can't stress, you do want it to be a partnership. You can't go and just squeeze a custodian and expect them to be able to provide you the service uh, and support that you need to be successful. It's, it's, a, it's a matter of meeting in the middle. And part of what I do is help, help advisors understand, hey, what's a reasonable middle ground with that? Um, if you're not already there, uh, head on over to transitiontoraa.com. Uh, I have plenty more videos, podcasts, white papers, all kinds of, all kinds of things to help you. Uh, explore this model further. Uh, and then the most, the, the easiest way to start digging into it is, is just look, it's all over the website, but certainly at the top of the contact link. Uh, click on that, you can instantly and easily schedule a one-on-one -on -one conversation with me and we can dive into whether it's today's topic or any of the other topics related to the RA model. More than happy to have that conversation with you. So with that, I hope you found value in today's question and I'll see you on the next one.